Hello, you are listening to the Revenue Growth Architects podcast. I'm your host, Xander Broffel with CS2. Joining me today to talk about all things life cycles, funnels, whatever you want to call it, is our great friend, Joy Martinez. Joy, how are you doing today? Hey, Xander. So good to be here. Thank you. Excited for this topic. I am too. I've I've been looking forward to it. It's funny because today Charlie posted, we're, we're going to date this episode a little bit, but Charlie posted on LinkedIn, what do you call your funnel? What do you call your life cycle? Uh, yep. So I'm very interested to see where the answers go for that question. Um, but it's very fitting for our topic today because what we're talking about is really managing multiple funnels. And uh, when we talk about that and when we think about that, we are talking about a demand generation, your traditional lead funnel with a account funnel and a product-led growth funnel. So it's going to be a great topic, I think, for us today. Um, before we jump in, Joy, just like any high-level feelings around this topic, how does it come up with your clients? You know, what are some of the common things that you are currently juggling with uh, yeah, I mean, it's a topic that comes up really often, actually. I mean, you know, I think most people like do have some sort of a lead, you know, life cycle or funnel in place. You know, it's kind of more historic, longer lasting, I guess, like in time, it's been around for a while. Um, you know, it may not function as good as it should or, you know, whatever. And then we definitely help clients optimize that all the time. Um but I do have clients that are doing, you know, account-based marketing, account-based experience, whatever you want to call it, ABM, ABX, um, and are really focused from that account-based perspective. And it really does, you know, uh, it really has its nuances that are different from tracking a regular lead life cycle. Um, I've had a client um, just at the beginning of the year um, start a free trial as part of the product-led, you know, method. And so, you know, it comes up often. Um, and I think it's super relevant because in reality today, companies are doing probably two, if not all three, um, you know, especially a lot of the clients we work with, you know, SaaS based clients that really lend themselves to kind of that B2B product led growth, you know, strategy. Um, and definitely more and more people are picking up that account based, um, you know, there's more vendors and platforms and technology to support those methods and be able to make tracking easier today. So um, super relevant and, you know, convos that I've been having uh, as recently as today. So <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I feel like every time that I'm bringing on a new client, these are topics that are top of mind. Yeah. Um, you know, I always go back to my time before CS2 and and I felt like I was redoing life cycle projects over and over and over and over and over and over again. Yeah. And unfortunately it was all based around leads. You bring in a new leader, be a new life cycle, bring in a new leader, bring in a new life cycle. Mm -hmm. um, and finally, like after many years of solving that problem, it turned into, okay, now what's the, what's the account life cycle? And I was like, it's a new problem to solve. Let's go. Yeah, uh, and now being here at CS2 and working with multiple clients, we're we're always working on some sort of life cycle project yeah. in some capacity, but there's so many different nuances to it. You know, there's there's a general great practice I think that we can bring in, but everything every client's a little bit different. You know, yeah, and and that's what makes it fun. So I'm excited to have the conversation today. Um, I think it's going to be very relevant for our listeners. Um, and I want to take this conversation just like very, very back and forth today. Neither of us are coming in as the absolute expert, but we all have, we both have really great experience working yeah. with multiple clients on this. So, you know, I want to ask you the first question, like sure. why manage three funnels? That seems really frustrating. Like, like why can't we just bring all of these and just track a single funnel? Yeah. I mean, you know, there's a lot of things that go into it. I mean, for one, they're completely different go-to-market. They could be t supporting totally different go-to-market strategies, uh, supporting different goals. Um, you know, a product-led growth, for example, is uh, almost completely opposite from just like a lead life cycle, right? Um, you know, traditional demand generation, like inbound marketing, you know, I think HubSpot really coined that term and, and got that uh, popular. 
um, you know, waiting for somebody to, you know, fill out a form or, you know, identify in some way. And now we're going to nurture them and move them through the funnel. And then the SDR team's going to follow up with our MQLs that scored up is completely different than, you know, really letting the buyer like take control. Um, you know, it could be that we still involve sales, you know, and we have PQLs and PQAs and stuff, or it could be a self-service model where, you know, literally like the life cycle could be like a single day where somebody could come in, think they're interested, sign up within a minute, right? I mean, you've taken what used to be or could be with a lead life cycle or an account-based life cycle, you know, six months, a year, nine months, like however long the sales cycle is. And now, with product-led growth, I mean, you can in minutes and days do, yeah. um, you know, so the tracking is just really different between those. I think, you know, when you're looking at trying to align um, uh, tracking different metrics so that you can see if you reach those goals, um, you know, even just the way that you would track is completely different. Um, you know, you've got to have different stages depending on what the goals that you're trying to accomplish and the buyers, you know, act differently. And, and for, for sales, you know, on the account-based method, it's like, you know, they're, they're really big on, you know, outbounding those target accounts that they identified through their own, you know, deep analysis that maybe they did of all the customers that they won and lost and really looking at who their ICP is and who their target accounts should be, where those opportunities lie. And sometimes target accounts are really, built on like gut right we've seen that whether it be right or wrong but we have a lot of people that have said oh i know that there's opportunity in this account this is the one i'm going to go after right <laughs> um and so yeah i mean i think just with the different kind of go-to-market motions the different goals that are involved with them um it really just lends itself into really separating them out finding out what happens at each part of the journey within and figuring out how to track you know the three absolutely and you're going to gain insights from from being able to visualize the performance of each of these funnels, right? I think that that's where that's where as I was working on my first kind of transition trying to get ABM ABX working, it was okay, get rid of the MQL. All I'm going to care about is the accounts and the accounts are going to tell me exactly what's happening. And then it quickly turned into, well, who within those accounts is doing something? You know, we have to remember we're selling to individuals within an account. Yeah. Human beings yeah. still exist. They're buying teams. And <laughs> they work at the companies. They work there, right? <laughs> and so you can't, you know, I don't recommend it ever of just completely pivoting one way or another. It's it's you you build the foundation yeah. slowly over time. So that way you have uh, what you need to be successful long-term right mm -hmm. and and we're not just thinking about like here's a new strategy here's a new strategy here's a new strategy it's they're building on top of each other yeah and i mean i think companies too who are like okay we're, we're doing abm now um yes that's true but you're still always a hybrid model right i'm always like yeah but like you still need this right like you're still going to as long as you still have forms on your website and stuff like that like you're still gonna have people coming through through those traditional demand you know channels and even if you're targeting your ads to target accounts it's still people at those accounts and people are going to come through the funnel just as much as you're you know trying to outbound those accounts and so you know to your point it's it's human beings how do we interact with human beings and what are the behaviors that that person is actually going to do and do we have you know it uh, the tracking in place to be able to know when somebody's raising their hand that they want to be contacted. And to be honest, like the, not every company is going to have like a data scientist and a BI team that can do all of this formal analysis to really know with a high degree of precision that like these target accounts are the exact correct target account. And now if we win that account, do we replace that with a new account? And now we got to like look at, well, okay, who else can we bring in to continue to feed the pipeline, you know? And it's like for those companies who are doing it on very loose data, maybe messy or dirty data, um, or those gut assumptions, like 
you've got to be doing a hybrid. Like you've got to still be tracking the lead funnel because there isn't a high degree of accuracy. And I think that account-based approach takes time too to really um, look at what's working and what's not and, you know, making tweaks. And there's always new companies coming on the market. And, you know, there's some companies I would say that like maybe have a very nuanced product and have a very small pool of clients that truly are just very niched and narrow but most are not like that and so if you're a company that you know services many different industries and has many different types of products the more complexities you bring into you know into the table and so you've got to have both approaches like you you can't just be like well we're doing abm and then you know forget about your lead management or you know say oh well this could be a great idea for a free trial or a freemium like let's put that in place well you're not going to put that in place without also then thinking of well what are we going to do once they sign up how are we going to convert these free users right how are we going to get them to retain after they convert like you know now you're thinking of the whole product led like it's you really do need to think about this hybrid approach because it's not a one size fits all and you will have uh, SDR teams and sales teams and marketing teams and product teams and multiple different types of teams involved potentially with all three or, you know, some teams on more focused on the lead side of things and some teams more focused on the outbound, but it's still a hybrid. There's still the kind of shared approach of, being able to ultimately, you know, drive business for the company. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I I always go back to there was a bunch of stuff that you were saying here that I think is really interesting. Talking about like ICP, mm-hmm. and I find it very interesting that if you only look at wins and losses, those are your only signals. It's like, yeah. well, how much of that is just bias, right? Like, right. is it that that we thought we were going to do better at certain industries, so we spent more dollars toward those industries and we spent more time getting sales in front of those industries mm-hmm. and then it was a self-fulfilling prophecy and now yeah. we're just going to continue down that path but there's actually people that have intent that we're completely missing yep um, yeah yeah that one's that one's always been like, like that always you know, yeah like, uh-huh am i missing something here yeah because some companies will say okay like we really want to go and try to penetrate this, you know, education vertical. Like we see more opportunity there. And so then you put in all this time and effort with marketing campaigns and sales outreach efforts and stuff like that. But it's like, again, it's sort of self-fulfilled prophecy. Like, and then I worked somewhere too, that we were doing this hybrid ABM approach. We were doing ABM and um, then COVID hit. Well, our primary, uh, you know, bread and butter, I would say customer was, was our colleges and universities and then when COVID hit all their budgets froze and then it was like all of our target accounts and all of our analysis of our customers that we won and stuff like that really went by the wayside and we completely had to redo our ICP and come up with more of a um, we called it our uh, aspirational like ICP this is who we want like we want more government business we want more of this vertical or that, you know, type of company, because we could not get the pipeline revenue that we needed from our traditionally bread and butter company. And it's things like COVID and these things that are completely out of any of a company's control, yeah. right? That just happened in the world that cause you to have to go, oh, we need to completely redo our strategy here. And um, yeah, that I mean, market factors like that and, and world <laughs> factors like really impact like your strategy towards it. And so um, that was really interesting working there through through the beginning of COVID because that that really affected uh, what we did. And we had to completely just like go, okay, forget the data. Like, this is what we think we want to go after, you know? And it was like, <laughs> it was, I mean, we could see traditionally like, okay, if we knew they had this piece of technology so we'd look a lot at technographics and stuff like if they have this technology they're more likely to be able to buy our type of product so then what other industries have that type of technology so there was some obviously analysis and science that went into it but for the most part it was like okay well throw that out the window we got to completely redo our icp and everything because um you know the world has changed 
the world has changed. Absolutely. And, and I'm sure that in that situation, well, maybe not sure, but I hope that you had a process in place that you could fall back on. Right. Yeah. And so as we think about balancing these three go-to-market strategies and, and maybe just focusing on lead and account for a minute, okay. I do not want to stop not thinking about PLG because it's a very big focus of ours lately with a lot of clients. Mm -hmm. But I always think about like ABM is great for targeting and your outbound sales team and and getting everybody focused. We we said it on a previous podcast episode. It's like it's smart marketing. It's it's mm -hmm. putting your dollars in front of the accounts that are going to matter. But it's your demand generation and lead life cycle that's going to highlight who within those accounts you should follow up on. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so there's there's multiple ways to look at it. How much should a lead funnel influence an account funnel and vice versa? If we think about things like lead scoring versus account scoring, in your opinion, like what, what does that look like? Yeah. I mean, even, even, so let's start with like account scoring, you know, you usually have, and let's just, for example, purposes, say you're using a tool like six Sense or demand base or something that has some sort of algorithm and model that you can say these are the items that we want to score on and you know it calculates it for you and stuff those are usually you know based on things that you can just see at the account level like we can see somebody at this account is showing some sort of intent which indicates propensity to buy you know on these keywords right okay but we don't know who yet so then that's when you got to make sure that you have the right you know um you've got SEO in place and you've got, you know, the right ads with the right keywords in place that, you know, those target accounts are showing intent on so that hopefully you bring in that person and identify somebody, hopefully in the buying, in the buying group, right? Hopefully they are. Um, you know, I just was working with a client that um, said, if an intern comes and fills out the form, we want to know, pass that over. Don't exclude it from MQLing. Don't exclude it. If they are part of a target account, period, they're an intern. We don't care because that person could be influencing or tasked with doing the research for the CMO, for the VP, like for those executive people that maybe sales is not going to be reaching out to the intern, but sales would reach out to those executives and people that they believe to be the buying group. But that person coming in even if it's an intern if they're part of a target account could potentially be the influencer and the starter to say hey i did this research this is who i think our top players are that we should evaluate and consider and pass that information over to that you know executive sponsor and therefore that intern truly did play an important part they may not be the one that makes the decision or gets to spend the budget but they do have some sort of influence over it and so you can't completely ignore that lead process you still need to be able to bring it in and if you do think have um tools integrated like if you have six cents integrated with marketo and integrated with salesforce and maybe in lean data you have lead to account matching and like you know you've got all your tech kind of set up to support some of the processes it's very easy to say okay we know that this lead belongs to this target account and we're going to follow up on this behavior because we think that this is worth it because this is one of our like really hot target accounts. Right. Yeah. So, you know, they, they really do, they really do align even when it comes down to somebody that might not be part of your buying group that you're building and, and putting into Salesforce on the accounts, but that lead comes in and is showing that intent. It's hard to ignore when it's coming from one of those target accounts. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I always think about it. I, I always craft the the message of you have two people, right? You have two people who attend a webinar. Person A attends a webinar. That's it, right? Mm -hmm. Nobody else in the account is showing any intent. They're not showing up there. But you have an account that has been surging for a week. Five people have been to your website. They're surging on all of the intent signals that you have. And that person attends the webinar. Which one of those would you want to MQL and make sure that there's an SDR that's like True. calling that person, right? Yeah, because now it's like, it. 
exactly. they may have a project going on that's evaluating our type of, you know, technology or whatever, you know. And they like, hopped on that webinar yep. for something else, right? And maybe, mm -hmm. maybe you want to follow up with that person, right? Like if your webinar strategy is super strong and you go, hey, these are all really hot leads for us, great. If, mm -hmm. if it is an informational webinar, maybe the, that's the person that you put into a nurture track. And so you're going to try and build up some of that engagement, right? Mm -hmm. But that's where you can combine some of the things. On the flip side, if you have an account that has 15 contacts in your database and that account surges and becomes maybe like a, a qualified account, mm -hmm. I don't recommend MQLing 15 contacts. Right. <laughs> right. So if you just take intent data and say, well, now let's make MQLs yeah. out of my leads, yeah. that's not doing anybody any good because now the sales team is saying, well, out of all these people on this account, who's important? Right. My conversion metrics go down. It makes it really difficult to become a predictable yeah. business. So you can you'd have some... to really think through, you know? I think you can make some decisions that aren't like, I, I wouldn't MQL everybody at that either in that case. But like, there are some decisions I think you can make though. Like when you see an account surging and you're not sure who, um, or you have, you know, just like 50 contacts at that account and you're like, gosh, I like, I don't know who yet. We haven't seen a lead come through or anybody self-identify like where we can tell who this is, you know? there is a possibility of, you know, trying to at least put those people maybe in a sales cadence with an outreach or sales loft to try or just ensure from a marketing perspective, like, do we have them included in our ad targeting? You know, maybe let's try to increase those chances that somebody could self-identify, right? Um, or if you are seeing on the flip side, maybe you don't have enough contacts or no contacts at some of those target accounts, right? And maybe this is the time to say, okay, I see this target account surging. Now maybe I need to go to Zoom Info or maybe if it's a healthcare like Definitive Health or, you know, whatever to go and enrich and try to get some people in those accounts. Or maybe you, maybe the, the rep goes, I'm going to go on LinkedIn and I'm going to use my LinkedIn sales navigator and I'm going to go try to find some of the people that I think would be part of the buying committee, whether or not these are the people that are surging or not. But Let's get some contacts in this account. This looks like a good one. We don't have enough people yet. You know, so you can make some decisions um, and come up with a plan of like what this means from a sales perspective and what this means from a marketing perspective. Um, and they really complement each other. Like, you know, you have like you have to have both. Like, like you don't just do you could just do lead, but you don't usually just do ABM like without the lead, I feel like is. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen it. I've seen it. And it's it's just really hard, you know, because yeah. then it just kind of becomes this like muddled, muddled upper like place. And I also feel like these life cycle, anytime that you take on a life cycle project, like you're optimizing business process. What does mm -hmm. the outreach look like? What does uh, what's my responsibility? Right. If you're doing something where you're bringing in an account based funnel, you're having these conversations. OK, if I have a if I have an account that's surging. How do I get people added into my account if nobody's there? What happens right. to them when they show up? Do I just immediately start blasting them with marketing? Mm -hmm. Or do we have like a very specific outreach campaign that's very targeted toward these people and more personalized? Mm -hmm. Like these are the conversations that you have to have. Yeah, for sure. And now too with like, I mean, I know we've had a whole episode on like, you know, data compliance and opt-in and GDPR and all that. But, you know, when you think too of like, okay, I see this behavior that's happening from an account level, but, you know, especially if you're in a country like with GDPR, uh, but even just compliance wise with email opt-in rules and stuff like that, it's like, what are our options, right? That we can legally or feel compliant and ethically able to do, you know, if we don't know who this person is and we're just, you know, inputting people onto the account and stuff like that. Um, you know, you may have to shift strategy and it may be a good time to be like, okay, what are the chances that we can get a group of people in front of something so that they self-identify and they then can opt in themselves? Like, where can we input those places of potential opt-in so that now it becomes more actionable and we can do a lot more with this person? Yes, yes. And now I start thinking about our conversations that we've had in the past about <laughs> nurture, right? And that's yeah. not just email. Like I know that yeah. email feels so easy and like 
you can tell that this is like a conversation that I am actively having over and over and over again, where it's, yeah, you have to be mindful of not just even the compliance and the ethics, but just the customer experience, right? Like, yeah, for sure. I think that, yes, there's ad blockers. Yes, there are absolute realities. But let's face it, advertising online has not gotten any cheaper and any less active, right? Mm -hmm. Now we have different conversations with AI models and all of this stuff, but like you can still get in front of people. Yeah. And I think that one of the biggest compliments that I had when we when we implemented our first ABM tool was in the past was SDR reached out to the person. The person said, how did you know that I was interested in? I've seen you everywhere. And it was like, I'm a mind reader, right? And it was it was like the perfect orchestration, right? It was, we had display, we had search, we had LinkedIn posts. They were engaging with them with social selling. They were then reaching out via email and we got that meeting and we got that opportunity and we got that closed one business first. Mm-hmm. And that's really key, really critical. Um, but you know, if you just if you just spam people, that's not a great customer experience. So just right. think of these. I mean, they're all different strategies that you have to have the right plays in front of. Um, but they all orchestrate together. Yeah. So, any other any other thoughts just around that topic? Because I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna shift us into a different uh, yeah, topic. Yeah. Let's go ahead and shift. Okay. Cool. <laughs> So, so now I'm excited. You can hear it in my voice. Um, how does PLG fit into this? Right? Yeah. Because PLG is a little bit different where it's like, you almost want to stay out of the way of the user. And I'm thinking like a prospect, a free trial, always on something that's easy to do. Um, from your perspective, how do these things play? Yeah, I mean, for sure. I think you need to kind of stay out of the way, but I think PLG, um, uh, it also requires just, I feel like, a different tool set where you can do different data analysis so that you can, like, okay, so we have, you know, like, uh, let's say we've got, um, like, the first stage of PLG where they've signed up for their free trial, and now it's more like activation, right? Like, how do we get that free user to adopt to have frequency using the product, not just like sign up and then like never come back, right? Um, and it's like constant experiment experiments. And, you know, people use platforms like Optimizely and like all these different things to run experience or experiments to improve the experience <laughs> for that user, right? So that five times over. I know, you see why I'm stumbling over my words. So you have to constantly test, 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 test is the point in in that aspect to know what's working. And when you think about it traditionally in marketing, like you, you are testing, like you're testing different marketing channels. You're testing to see what's working. You're looking at your attribution and you're seeing like, okay, what's really bringing in the most pipeline. So when you're thinking of a product led growth strategy, it's really no different. You're doing testing at various stages to see what's working, what gets that person activated using the product, you know, that sort of thing. And then only from there can you really truly get them to convert to, you know, a paid version of some sort. And only then can you get them to, you know, expand or retain, right? Like maybe you can get them to sign up for more licenses or more users, or maybe they're using, you know, uh, more uploads or downloads or, you know, whatever your product is like, how do we get them to kind of go through these stages of the product cycle, but make it a seamless experience? And it really just comes down to some basics of marketing and sales is like, look at your data, optimize, run some tests, look at the data, optimize, run some more tests, like, you know? And so um, even though the tracking might be different and you might be looking at different goals and metrics to, you know, see that performance, it's still a similar process of like looking at what's working, looking at the data, making some tweaks, you know, and it's like a constant, you know, test, optimize, you know, improve process. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, when, when do you think it's right to put sales in front of somebody who is like showing success from a PLG perspective? 
Yeah, good question. I don't know if I have like a firm answer or right or wrong. Answer? But maybe it's a, it depends. Where's your it depends sign? Yeah, <laughs> it depends. <laughs> um, you know, if because uh, some some product led um, paths are very self service, right? Um, but I think there's some products that are maybe more complex or maybe they need more education, um, more enablement type points in the journey. And if you feel like your product needs any of that or needs, um, uh, a value prop absorbed in some way, right? Like if, if we're not seeing, because product-led growth usually has a very quick time to value because they immediately try it, they get their hands on the product, they can see the value, right? Versus the traditional, like, and we talk to sales, sales tells me about the features and benefits, and then eventually we realize the value, and then we use the product, and then now we really finally realize the value. It's a lot longer. But product, it's a very short time period to see the value. But if you're struggling to see the value, or there's more points of education or things that need to happen where a salesperson could assist, I think that's the point that you need to put it in. So like there is no, I don't think right or wrong. I just think it depends on what you're selling and, um, you know, if that person can really help drive in potentially more value or more adoption or, you know, that sort of thing for the user. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think what's great about being able to measure a life cycle that's that's more PLG focused is that you can figure out what are my different um, different goals within those stages, right? Um, so so for the sake of this conversation, stages in this could look like awareness, acquisition, activation, conversion, retention, referral, ultimately revenue. Right. Mm -hmm. That could be an opportunity or, or it could be a mix of those. Um, but if you have identified inputs and outputs that will say, OK, this person's moved from awareness into the next step of acquisition. They've downloaded the trial. What are the different milestones that they have to hit to get to the next stage of activation? And now that they're activated, what do they have to do to get here? And then if you find that they are not hitting those milestones, that's where you maybe pull in the salesperson. Yeah. Or that's where you pull in a traditional nurture program from like a from like a lead generation process, right? Yeah. Um, not to mention, before you can even get somebody using your product, you have to do all the traditional marketing and sales tactics yeah, of true. air yeah. cover, brand awareness, <laughs> you know, demand generation. Yeah. Like like all of these things play. It could start with that account and lead approach to drive to that product approach. Right. Like it's exactly. sort of like, you know, piggybacking one off of the other. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I just think that like this requires so much good enablement. Another topic that I know you're passionate talking about, but like so much enablement to make sure yeah. that we're not stepping on our toes. And like what happens when that account is showing that it has uh, a lot of you know, a lot of activities. So it's all of a sudden going to become an MQA because they started doing PLG, like trying to find yeah. that, that balance um, to make sure that we are ultimately delivering the right customer experience, because that's, what's going to end up getting them converted, yeah. whether it's the experience from the product or the experience from the sales process. Yeah. I think that's why mapping out that customer journey and like the experience makes sense because only then I think, can you truly tell, okay, at what point is which team getting involved in what technology are we using to, to do that? Whether it be an old school phone pickup or an actual technology, like maybe a Marketo nurture or an outreach cadence, or we're doing, you know, something right. And maybe it's within the product itself or whatever. I think only by mapping it out and laying out that experience and really going through it yourself and seeing where the pain points are or seeing which teams gets involved. Can you really, you know, figure out, okay, who, who would, which team would provide that customer or that potential customer the most value? Um, who's going to help be the best person to, you know, drive this forward. And it's not really a, a marketing against sales against product again. It's, it's a, it's a cohesive, team a growth team that needs to all work together 
and have their parts. And it really is like a dance, right? Because when you think of just even in marketing technology, how much tech is involved, then you have sales tech, you have product, like your product, you've got all these technical points involved and all these different, you know, people at the company that could potentially insert themselves throughout the experience. Um, but ultimately, until you map out what it's like to actually go through it and what those steps are, it'll be hard to kind of identify, you know, who might be the best person to reach out at what point. Because the last thing you want, and this is something I actually was talking um, at a workshop the other week with a client, is, you know, what is like our cadence between marketing and sales in terms of communications as a whole, right? Because they were thinking about the experience, like for that user, like at which point, are like are we over communicating to this client like is that causing us more pains because we haven't coordinated our communication efforts right um and then like if somebody decides to opt out here and they don't want to be communicated with do we continue marketing to them over here because they opted out over here do we at, do we combine them together like it was a really interesting conversation around just the orchestration of how the teams and technologies work together to create that really smooth experience so I think to your point you know mapping it out and really putting yourself through the experience you can create a better experience and a better orchestration to you know hopefully just create all positive you know things for the company more revenue better experience for the customer um you know all the way around yeah I mean I mean these are so important to get right but it's important to get them right together yeah. Don't just solve this in a silo of, okay, I've solved my ABM problem. I've solved my PLG problem. I've <laughs> solved my demand generation problem. It's like, this is the revenue engine that you're ultimately creating. Yeah, and that's a good way to put it. Pieces is there. Um, I think that somebody had recently asked, like, like, how do we build a revenue engine? And you're like, everything we're doing is a part of that revenue engine. Right? <laughs> yeah, hop on the train. <laughs> Here we go. Here we go. Um, but what a good, what a good point of view there of what is your buyer getting? Cause like mm -hmm. if I'm, if I'm in a traditional nurture process and I have outreach going, my messaging's different, I'm giving yeah. different value props and now I've started the product and the product's messaging me and now I have a different value prop. It's like, you have to make sure that there's some coordination there and that's incredibly yeah. complex. It is complex. Um, I mean, the conversations I was having with the client the other week are definitely not over because it is a complex thing to solve. Like, you know, you have to have things operationalized in many systems that already adds complexity. And now you have multiple types of life cycles, lead, account, product, right? And you got multiple teams and players involved. And you're trying to like, you know, create this like really smooth experience and like the fact of the matter is is like the user doesn't care about how they need to be tracked in your system or how it's set up right like that's what we care about because we're trying to make sense of it and we're trying to like measure against it right and so we need some of that in place but at the end of the day like the user doesn't think like that and the user just wants a good experience and to be able to see value and get benefit from your products and services. So, um, you know, you, you've got to, it's sort of just the rule of thumb of continuing to go back to, you know, figure out what you need to do to track and orchestrate it. And it all has to work together, the three models, because at the end of the day, it goes back to, it's all about the buyer and the and the experience that you're creating for them and and really showcasing the value that you can bring to them. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so let's shift our, let, let, uh, what a good segue. Let's shift our mind into like solutioning advice. I don't think that there's a one size fits all. We're not coming out of this podcast with a, if you follow this 18 step process, this will be perfect. <laughs> But like, what, what are some of the uh, advice that we should give to our audience to take away today on, on ways that we can tackle some of these pieces? Yeah, I mean, A, map out the journey. And I think map it out what it would look like, you know, for all three of those methods, if you're doing all three, right? Um, know what it's like for a person to come through um, and figure out, you know, what you have in place today, identify gaps. That's one thing that I was working on with that client at the workshop is we went through and said, what are our gaps? What have we not thought of or solved for yet? 
okay, let's identify those, create a team of people that's going to, you know, solve for that. And then also thinking through what are our dependencies? What has to come first? What's next, right? Um, If there's any dependencies or, or major blockers too that could be in the way, right? And so map out that experience, see what your current state is, identify gaps, you know, good old gap analysis, <laughs> and to come up with a plan of action, you know? <laughs> yeah, I love that. Um, so so gap analysis with, with journey mapping, I think, is really key. Um, think about your segmentation, right? A lot of this is not stumbling on top of each other. So So ways that you can segment would be scoring right yep. whether it's traditional lead scoring whether it's a a account score whether it's a product score think about that and figure out you know what should trump each other like i always think about that like what's your most important thing some people will say i want my pqls to be prioritized over an mql some people will say the opposite decide what that is so that way if somebody hits one of those stages right mm-hmm. um that's where you put some of your focus. That's where you that's where you try and figure out like what should that journey mapping be. Mm-hmm. Um you should facilitate that with a with a life cycle that has unique stages, right? And not just I think that's something that that's missing a little bit on the uh on the qualified account process is we get a lot to this is a qualified account and then it turns into an opportunity. Well, figure out like what happens to that account when that opportunity gets created. Like it mm-hmm. should progress forward just like you would with an MQL would become a sales accepted lead. Is this now yeah. a sales accepted account? Because now you can move everybody that's a part of that account into that next segment and and message them appropriately. Both from an account perspective, the account's showing intent or is engaged but then as an individual person Mm -hmm. you know this person may have more experience with your brand than others and then of course if you have somebody who's in this like self-guided journey just making that as good of a process as possible i think is really key Mm -hmm. um i think in most in most examples i'd probably prioritize a pql of really making sure that like that's as clean as possible and not yeah not confusing it um but you know, it 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 really is going to uh, matter with like what that motion looks like for you. Yeah, I mean, anything looking like at your current data, there's a ton of first party data that you probably have available to you, right? That you can look at to understand, like especially when it comes to product led. I mean, that's them engaging with your product. Like you've got to be getting usage, you know, information and like all this stuff. And it may take, you know, a platform like segment maybe or something to like pull together all the information you're getting from product, from Marketo, from Salesforce, from your ads, from, you know, like everything to really look at everything holistically, which is like a great thing to maybe like work towards down the road. But if at, at first, if you can just start with like, where are some of those first party data sources that we have available that we can leverage to like improve a process or the experience right and and just look at points of leverage that you might have within points of either three of those funnels you know um and so those points of leverage could be pain points they could be gaps that you have today but they could also be things that are working today that if you just did something even more slightly different, they'd work even better. And it's like, look at those areas that you have available to you that you can leverage today. And then you can always kind of, you know, grow up to more sophisticated systems and, and, you know, analysis and stuff like that. But there's a, there really is a lot of data in general at people's fingertips that is not being leveraged that that um can really make a difference so yeah yeah great insight Uh, always i i think that the third party data we spend a lot of time trying to capture and trying to gain insights into when like the first party data is just like this hidden secret weapon on yes in so many cases where it's like oh or it's just not there yet where you're like oh yeah, I want that anonymous stuff. And then like, can I tie that to a person, you know? And <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, And then, and then I think that, you know, from a, from a 
final recommendation that I'll make, and then I'll give you an opportunity to give one of yours as well, is just continue to to focus on what are the goals? What are what is it that I'm trying to accomplish? Right. Um, an MQL could be an MQA, could be a PQL. That's a lot of acronyms, right? <laughs> but that single person could be the one that is filling out the raising their hand that's causing a bunch of insights on the account and they're actively using your free trial process. So it kind of flips how you do a lot of your revenue planning. So just think through like, okay, if I have a revenue goal that is in place, how, you know, what's the working backwards? Like, what do I need to know? Knowing that somebody could exist in both of them. They're not going to be completely unique. Um, it's absolutely still possible, but you just have to look at your first party data and figure out how, you know, how common is it for it to happen in your instance. Um, but I think starting there and figuring out like what is that delta will help you to set clear and concise goals between each of these funnels. Yeah, I like that you brought up the goal setting because it reminds me of our other episode that we talked about on our product method. And we brought up, you know, goals and, and, and uh, aligning your roadmap to that and stuff. And so, you know, product teams are pretty, um, you know, they have you know, a sprint schedule and they have their milestones that they're reaching and stuff of, you know, how they're developing the product. And, you know, especially for like a, a product led strategy, you know, you've, you've got to be able to know what goals you're reaching, leverage those points that are really going to make a difference to even know, especially if product led is new to the, to your company, you've got to know, like, does it even make sense to continue to do this? Like our, do we even have like a viable like free trial or freemium process in place? Yeah. And if and if you're not able to test an experiment to get people past that free sign up and you're not converting those free users to anything, like then you don't have a product led path, right? Like maybe it's just not in the cards or you need to, you know, take a different approach. But I think going back to those goals, you can figure out exactly what metrics you want to track to figure out what you need to operationalize in your system to be able to get those metrics and those data points to be able to analyze. And so, um, you know, sounds like hard stuff, but one thing that I've been saying every day the last couple of weeks is, okay, I can do hard things. Like, <laughs> because my brain has felt very strategic lately and it's like, it, it can be very, uh, like just, you know, I always, kind of use the analogy of like, man, this just requires a lot of thinking. Like this is a thinking task and I need space to think because this is complex. This is a really complex thing. But if you break it down to just your basics, go back to the goal setting, go back to what metrics you want to reach, look at your gaps, you know, map it out. Like I think we're all kind of saying the same thing. It's like, let's just align and make sure that we at least cover our basics when it comes to tracking our life cycles. And, you know, only then are you going to be able to advance and optimize and, you know, sophisticate, but, um, but you got to get the basics and the foundation down first. Absolutely. I know I said that, I, that I was going to say the last thing before, but you just reminded me. The other thing to think about is like, you don't have to have all three. Right. Not all. Yeah. Not all organizations need to have all three of these pieces to be successful. Some people are execute incredibly well on your traditional lead lead generation demand generation process. Um, the reason why we wanted to have this conversation today is for the organizations that are thinking, OK, I now need to start pulling in some of these other strategies and how do they orchestrate well together. But, you know. If you have very rickety processes for all three of these, it's going to be way worse than somebody who really has the foundation put together, um, which you you spoke so eloquently to, Joy. So thank you for that. Um, Joy, any closing thoughts? Thank you so much for, for this conversation. Yeah. I mean, I think companies can take a lot away from that last statement you just said, you know, in like, you know, get you don't have to do all three. There's tons of companies that we work with that don't have any product led, but PLG just keeps being a buzzword, just sort of like how ABM was. Right. Yeah. And still there's companies that have never done ABM that are like, Oh, I don't really know how the best way to go about this, you know? 
um, and people are thinking about PLG. Oh, can I, you know, do this PLG method? You know, I'm a tech company, but not every company is like that. I mean, we work with companies that aren't tech as well, even though that's typically who we work with. Like there's all sorts of companies out there. And, you know, if, if your traditional lead life cycles functioning really well and working great for you, great. But like maybe test out one of these other methods and see what you think. And, you know, um, but don't invest a bunch of time in something if you aren't seeing the return or you don't have the correct team members in place to support the processes and um, that sort of thing. So, you know, some of the examples that we gave in this episode and this particular client that I've been working and workshopping with lately is, you know, they have a large team and they have a lot of different departments involved and not everybody's going to be like that. I have another client who's a a new startup, like they're definitely not have all three of these in place right. yet. And, and nor they should they, right? Like that's not the initial focus of a startup. So, uh, but some startups only do PLG and start with that. So it really just depends. Like every company is so nuanced and different. So, you know, just look at, you know, what you, uh, you know, what you have in place today, where the gaps are, where you can optimize and test out some things if, you know, if you haven't, you know, if you feel like, PLG is something you want to do and you have an idea, you know, and you've got the team to be able to support that and stuff like, great, try it out. But, um, you know, the good thing is, is you have multiple ways of doing it. So if, you, <laughs> if one way isn't working, try another, right. Um, and, and, you know, don't overcomplicate it. So. Well, Joy, always a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much. I, I, I think that the audience is going to get a lot out of today's episode. Um, I enjoyed just like the back and forth nature of it. We both yeah, have had sure. some pretty great experiences, um, you know, supporting others and supporting our own organizations over time. So thank you so much for listening to the podcast today. Um, if any of these topics really resonated with you, I just want to remind you as the listener, uh, we have focused podcasts that are on both PLG, ABM, as well as the myriad of topics that relate to our traditional lead, ge lead generation and demand funnels. So please get as much information as you can around this. Um, we definitely want to help support the community as we juggle all of these things with, with the myriad of experiences that we've had in the past. So thank you for listening to the podcast. This has been the Revenue Growth Architects. Thank you and have a great day.